right. Thank you, ladies. That was beautiful. Still, I will praise your name. I hope that's your song, and I hope that's your prayer. Well, good to have you today in God's house. We're glad that you're here to worship with us. I want you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to Mark chapter 7. We're going to get back into our series today. The series is entitled, Join the Journey, and today's sermon title is Craving Crumbs. Craving Crumbs, and I want to look at a passage of Scripture today as we continue through the book of Mark that has always meant so much to me. I've preached on it before, uh, typically Mother's Day, uh, so I'm not going to go in that direction today, but I want to uh, kind of put it in the context of Mark chapter 7. Uh, so if you found your place in Mark chapter 7, stand with me now. We're going to read verses 24 all the way through verse 30, so seven verses there, 24 to 30. Follow along now as I read. And from thence he arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into a house and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. For a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. But Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled. For it is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it under the dogs. And she answered and said unto him, Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And he said unto her, For this saying, Go thy way, the devil is gone out of thy daughter. And when she was come to her house, she found the devil gone out, and her daughter laid upon the bed. You may be seated. Let me start this way. Raise your hand if you like pizza. Raise your hand. Okay, that's, that's what I expected. Who doesn't like pizza? I mean, think about it for a minute. It's a surefire way to get all of the major food groups into one delivery agent, isn't it? I mean, you think about that. You get your grains, you get your dairy, you get your fruit, you get your veggies, you get your meats, you get it all, all in one delivery agent called pizza. I'm thinking about writing a book, The Perfect Pizzeria Diet. And the subtitle is going to be, How to Lose Weight and Eat All the Pizza You Want. I think it's going to be a hit. I'm going to sell all. I haven't wrote the book yet, but I've got the title. And uh, if you'll follow my plan for just four weeks, you'll look like this. Can you bring that picture up if you can find it? All right, you'll look like this in four weeks, all right? Now, if you don't follow my plan and buy the book, you're going to look like this in four weeks. They're not fast enough up there, are they? There we go. That's what you'll look like. So you got your choice here. Buy my book. You can get it on Amazon. Not yet. I haven't really written it yet. But uh, I don't know. I'm a pizza. F I love pizza. I love it anytime. I had it last night. My wife and I got it last night. Just enjoy pizza and just all the different things you can put on it. Every now and then I'll eat a deep dish Chicago pizza. I don't know if you've ever had deep dish Chicago from Chicago. There are some incredible places to go there. Giordano's, if you've ever been there, or Lou, Malnati's, or uh, Uno Pizza. Uno Pizza kind of took off in Chicago and then went all over the country, and everybody's got an Uno's Pizzeria now based on the one out of Chicago. But I remember the first time I had deep dish Chicago pizza, and it came out in a seven-inch cast iron bowl just like that, not, not very big. And uh, when you look down on it, you, you, you see, there's not much there. There's not much, I'm, I'm never going to be filled up with that seven-inch pizza. I'm going to need more than that. Until you take it out of the cast iron bowl, when you take it out, it's that thick. 
It's that thick. It's, it's an amazing thing. And when you look at that pizza, there is layer after layer after layer after layer of just some incredible stuff. And every bit of it is good. And, and to be honest with you, just with a seven-inch pizza, deep dish Chicago style, I couldn't even finish the seven-inch. I couldn't believe it. It was just that much pizza in one little cast iron dish. Now, the reason I, I told you that little story about the uh, deep dish pizza is these seven verses in the book of Mark are like a deep dish pizza from Chicago. They are so layered. There are so many layers to this story, and there's so many different ways to approach the text. In this today, I'm going to do it in the context of what God is doing through the book of Mark, but these layers, and I want to try to unpack them for you today, and as I unpack them, I want to get at two things, this woman's heart and God's heart, this woman's heart and God's heart, because this is a unique story in what God is doing, and there's some things done here in this story that are done nowhere else in the book of Mark. Okay, so I've outlined the theme and the story around this, <clears throat> this proposition. There are five layers to cut through to evoke a startling response from the Lord to your need. Now, we're going to look at it from her need, so it's kind of from that perspective, but I want you to be able to come back and put the word your in every point as you begin to think this through in your life. So we're going to talk about her and what she was going through, but with the focus of you and how you should be able to approach the text and approach this and understand it from her perspective and what God is trying to do in your life. And so I'm going to do my best that I can here today as we come to the text. Number one, let me tell you the first layer to cut through. The first layer to cut through is her unspoken shame, her unspoken shame. Now, in this passage of Scripture, the Bible says that Jesus arose and went into the borders of Tyre and Sidon and entered into a house and would have no man know it, but he could not be hid. So, again, he's trying to get away from the crowd. He's trying to get some rest. So, he just said, let's do some R and I R again. Let's go up to Tyre and Sidon, and we'll get a little vacation, a little break. That's way up to the north of Israel. It's a Gentile region, Tyre and Sidon. But, but what is surprising is why he would go here. That's what you want to see from the text. Why would he pick this place? Now, the reason it's so odd that he would pick this place for R&R is this is modern-day Lebanon in Syria today. It's modern-day Lebanon in Syria. Now, why is that so important? Because in the first century, Josephus said this about modern-day or about Syria and Lebanon. They are the bitterest enemies of the Jews. They're the bitterest enemies of the Jews. And if you follow Lebanon through and Syria through, they've been for the last 2,000 years some of the most bitterest enemies of the Jews, which is an absolutely amazing thing. I've been to the tribe of Dan. We've sat about a mile outside of Dan. It's a little village. It's a community with houses and everything. And the uh, Lebanese or the Hezbollah, the Hezbollah will just shoot rocket launchers into their village just randomly, just, ran just to torture them, just to bother them. And uh, they will shoot bullets, uh, um, just different kinds of bullets, into their town randomly. And people have been killed that way. It's, it's, they're horrible. They're horrible uh, to what they do to that little town. And I, I actually witnessed it myself, so I can say firsthand that is true. So it's, it's strange that he would go to this region. That'd be like you going to Russia for your vacation. 
or for a way to get away or, or to some place where we're not really accepted or we really wouldn't want to go. But this is where Jesus chose to go. And the Bible says this woman, this Syrophoenician woman, finds out. <clears throat> so she goes looking for him, and the Bible says when she finds him, she goes into the house, and she falls at his feet. Now, I want you to notice, <clears throat> you may read that, and I want you to see a few unspoken things here that were against her the minute she did that, Okay. The first one I want you to see is she was super unclean. She wasn't just unclean, she was super unclean. Okay, that's really not a word they would use back then, but that's what I want you to understand. In other words, to come into this house with these 12 disciples in Jesus literally was a statement of her shame before them because she was super unclean. She was an outsider to them. They didn't even want to go. The disciples didn't even want to go into the region of Tyre and Sidon. It's a very strange thing, but this woman would have been like an outsider to them. She was a Gentile. You know what a Gentile basically is? In their culture, what that means for the Jewish people is you're not a Jew. That's just the term they would come up with. You're just not a Jew. That's it. That's all a Gentile is, is not a Jew. That's the way they would have seen it. It was very derogatory. So here this Gentile lady comes in, she's not a Jew, and she's super unclean. Part of what makes her super unclean is the fact that her daughter's possessed with a demon. And so if her daughter's possessed with a demon, clearly a demon is unclean, as we've demonstrated through the book of Mark. So she's unclean on several accounts there. Super unclean is a good way to say it. Number two, she's a woman. <clears throat> now, this isn't meant to be offensive to you, but let me just say this so you get this, okay? In the first century for Jewish culture, women were not respected. And, and they were not looked on with a, uh, a, 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 an honorable way. They couldn't even be a witness in court. They couldn't be trusted with their testimony. It's an amazing thing. They were to be seen but not heard. So here comes this woman, super unclean, into the presence of Jesus and his disciples. And then the third thing I want you to notice, she's from Syrophoenicia. Now, what's so interesting about that? She's a descendant from the region where Jezebel came from. The most hated woman in Israel's tradition is Jezebel because Jezebel almost single-handedly destroyed the nation of Israel. And so she is hated because she's just connected by descent to Jezebel. She is the Jezebel of the New Testament. And so these are the things that are an unspoken shame that maybe you don't pick up on, but, but I just want you to see when she steps into this house before she opens her mouth, okay, the disciples can't stand her. They can't stand her. Matter of fact, if you look at the parallel passage in Matthew 15, we won't do that. But you know what they say to Jesus? Send her away. Get rid of her. Get rid of this woman. That's the way they feel about her. Okay? So the disciples want her out. And by the way, if the Pharisees would have witnessed this, <laughs> if the Pharisees would have seen this woman come up to Jesus like this, their heads would have started spinning like in the movies, you know. They would have just got so upset to see Jesus even come close to this woman. Now, on all counts, 
this woman was an outsider. On all counts, she's an outsider. Do you ever feel like an outsider? Have you ever felt like you didn't fit? Do you ever feel like you're on the outside? All I can think to say about that at this church is, uh, I don't want that for anyone here. I don't want that for anyone here to ever feel like an outsider, like somebody doesn't want you here. Somebody doesn't want to worship with you. I hope, I hope people don't feel that way because we don't want that here. We don't want that here. And that's how this woman felt, and she was made to feel that way by everyone in the room. Okay? So there's the unspoken shame. All right, let's go on. Number two, let's look at her insurmountable dilemma. Her insurmountable dilemma. It says in verse 26, she was a Greek. She was a Gentile is actually the word. It's our Phoenician by nation. And it says she besought Jesus that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. daughter." Now, her daughter is possessed by a demon and no one can help her. You see the word besought, it's a word which means to beg, to beg. She gets down on her knees and she begins to beg Jesus. Now, what I want you to see in that, that begging before Jesus is, it's a tense, and we don't pick up on it in English, but in the tense of the Greek, it means she just kept on begging over and over and over in this house. She kept begging Jesus to rid the demon of her daughter. Her daughter of her deem, of the demon. She just kept asking her daughter to be healed, and she will not take no for an answer. Now, what that tells me is she kept on begging. She kept on begging that Jesus didn't respond right away. As a matter of fact, he is not quick to answer her at all. He allows her to repeat it over and over and over again. And when he does answer, he seems harsh and insensitive. Look at his response there in verse 27. Jesus said unto her, Let the children children first be filled, for it is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it unto the dogs. Best case. Best case. And I want you to get this, okay? Best case. That's an awkward thing to say. Have you ever called somebody a dog? See, best case for us who look at it from the 21st century, that's awkward for him to say the children have to get the bread first, but not to give it to the dogs. It's not right to do that. It's not right to throw that bread to the dogs. Best case, that's an awkward thing to say. Worst case, worst case, it sounds like Jesus is a little bit of a jerk. He's just, he's just putting it out there with her. <clears throat> so this is the way you've got to wrestle with this text because it's an unusual text. It's not like any other text that you'll see in the Scriptures. Did he really call her a dog? Did he really call her a dog? The only thing that would make that worse if he had called her a cat. Now that, that, my friend, that's worse. Okay, you didn't expect me to say that, did you? Oh, yeah, you did. I know. <laughs> that would be mean, wouldn't it? Now, what some commentators do, I've looked up about seven, eight different, uh, seven, different, eight commentators just to see kind of how they try to explain this. And some commentators try to say it in a nice way. 
Jesus was really trying to say it in a nice way to her. Like this. It would, it would be like saying the verse like this. Well, uh, let's Jesus talk in verse 20. Let the children first be filled, for it's not me to take the children's bread and to cast it under the dogs. That's how some commentators interpret it. It's kind of being said in a nice way. Okay. Um, does that sound any better to say it that way? I mean, just think about it for a minute. Does it make it any better to soften it a little and say it real sweet like that? Okay, some translators don't say that. They say, well, Jesus didn't use the word for a street dog or a feral dog, a wild dog. Jesus used a specific word in the Greek for a little dog, a house pet. Is that better? Okay, women, let me just do a quick poll right here. How many would rather be called a little dog than a dog? All right, see, you, nobody wants to be called a dog. It doesn't make it any better to do that. This is what's so difficult about this text is uh, it doesn't make it fine. So uh, you just have to hear this and understand this. Then and now, it's very strong language. It's very strong language. So let's make some observations about it, and let me just do a little theology with you as we go through this, okay? So let me do the first observation I want you to see about this text, and this is the way you want to study text. You want to just go over and over and just try to understand as best you can. Let me say this first theologically, okay? So you get this about Jesus. Jesus is always ever loving in all that he does and says. That'll never be violated in the scripture. Jesus is always ever loving in all that he does and says. Okay, we got to make that conclusion if we're going to understand the heart of Jesus and the heart of God. He's always ever loving in all that he does and all that he says. Okay, number two, the second observation I want you to see, it's a parable. It's a parable. The children are the Jewish people. The bread is the message of God for redemption. The bread, the crumbs, the bread is the message of God for redemption. And the dogs, the Jewish common day expression for Gentiles, is a dog. It was a common expression for Gentiles. So it's a parable. Okay, number three, the third observation I want you to see, is he doesn't say you'll never be fed. He doesn't say you'll never be fed. Look at the context, it says... Right now, I'm first going to the kids, the children of Israel. That's, that's what he's saying. Right now, I'm first going to go to the Jewish people. To you, the Gentiles, what Jesus is saying is, not yet. Not yet. You're going to have to wait a while. You're going to have to wait a while. Wait your turn, if you will, is the idea. Number four, the fourth observation I want you to make is the early church was on the same program too. The early church was on the same program too. The church, whenever they went out, first sought out the Jewish people to repentance. They first sought out the Jewish people to repentance. Paul, whenever he came into a town with the gospel, the first place he went was the synagogues. He always went to the Jew first. Every time seeking repentance from the Jews, he'd reach out to them. Then he would go to the Gentiles. That's, that's unique to understand this because this is the theology of the book of Mark being explained throughout the whole Bible now. 
Paul, whenever he came into town, said, I'm going to find the synagogue first. Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Also to the Gentile. Scripture makes no excuse for this in God's program. Scripture makes no excuse for this. So, let's back up a little. She asked for healing, and he says, to the Jew first. To the Jew first. Now, how would you respond to that? How would you respond to that? I, I've meditated on this all week. My first thought as I was studying this is, good gracious, Lord, this is a desperate mom. Can't you just heal her child? Can't you just heal this girl? This mom's in desperate straits. She's begging you. Why don't you just help her? And then my wheels started turning. What if he really was trying to help her by saying that? What if he was trying to get her to push a little? What if he was trying to get her to go and push beyond Jesus' push-off? And let's go even a little deeper. What if he's the one who sent the demon in the little girl? What if he's the one who planned that and not the demon? What if he just used the demon? See, if he had never used the demon, she'd have never sought out Jesus. She'd have never begged Jesus. She'd have never gone after Jesus. She'd have stayed home and lived a comfortable life. And what I'm saying to some of you is some of the reasons that you have to go through what you go through is because if you didn't go through them, your passion would never come out. Your sacrifice would never come out. Your bloodshed for someone would never be there. And it's until everything gets messed up in your life that it draws something out of you that makes life worth being alive. Because some people just live their life so comfortable, uh, they, don't, they don't want to be passionate about anything. And what God does sometimes is he has a child be possessed by a demon, and sometimes he puts you off, and he just wants to see, is there something inside of you that's alive? Is there something inside of you that gets to the core of your soul? and draw something out of you. It's in that woman. Is it in you? Or are you okay with just passionless? Are you okay with not sacrifice, no intensity, and no bloodshed? You okay with all that? You may get through life and live a good life, but is that what you want to do at the end of your life, live a good life? You know what life really is about? It's passion coming out of you. And sacrifice and bloodshed and the willingness to be stirred up by something. Get to the end of your life and live some of that and you've lived better than a good life. And sometimes God just does that to us. 
He doesn't just let us sit there and have this passionless life. Why do you think you're so drawn to certain series on TV or Netflix or Amazon? You know what you're drawn into? The passion of those people's lives, that they've got to be put in a situation and how are they going to get out of that situation? How are they going to deal with it? You know what? You love those kind of stories. What if God's trying to write that story with you? What if God's trying to write that story with you? And I think that there's something going on here. I can't explain it all to you. I did the best I could with that. But there's something he's pulling out of this woman that's a level of faith that she had deep resonant within her, and she didn't know it until it got pulled out. So he puts her off in an insurmountable dilemma. Let's go on. That leads me to number three, all right? Her astounding faith. Her astounding faith. Verse 28. And she answered and said unto Jesus... Yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. Now, yes, Lord. Now, I don't really know what I want you to take away from this sermon. I got something in my head and my heart that I think is the most important thing about this sermon. I don't know what the Lord's going to do with this sermon, except would you say yes, Lord, to somebody who demeaned you and called you a dog? Yes, Lord. There's no feministic protest. I can't believe... You chauvinist? I can't believe you talk to me like that. You insensitive jerk. There's none of that. No matter how critical Jesus is being, it didn't bother the woman to be demeaned. It didn't bother the woman to be demeaned. She was driven by a deeper passion... Her daughter, her daughter. What's astounding is the woman responds calmly. She understands what Jesus is saying. Okay, the children of Israel get it first. The Gentiles get it second. Okay, I understand. And then she says, yet even the dogs under the table get the crumbs. Let's make some observations about this, okay? Number one, the first observation, she says, yes, Lord. Make a note of this, because this is important. She's the only woman in the book of Mark that calls him Lord. His disciples don't even call him Lord in the whole book of Mark. None of his followers call him Lord. She is the only woman, and it's the only time in Mark that the word Lord is used. Jesus, Lord, Curios, Sovereign God, I know who you are, Lord. Nobody else gets it in the whole book, but she gets it. Number two, the second observation. This is the first time Jesus speaks in a parable and the person gets it. She understands the parable. That is amazing because time and time again he speaks in parables and no one gets it. No one gets it. Crickets. Every time he talks about a parable, it's just crickets. Like he said, that which goes into the stomach isn't what defiles you. That which comes out of your heart defiles you. Crickets. They go into the house and the disciples say, hey, dude. What were you talking about back there? They never got one of his parables. It's like dumb and dumber. 
<laughs> you know, are you going to get this? No, man, what were you talking about? I don't get it. They missed it every time. They missed it. The first person in Mark who gets it is this woman. Third observation, what is so witty, what is so witty about this woman is she responds to Jesus in his parable. Nobody's ever done that. She responds to Jesus in his parable. In other words, she's in step with Jesus. Okay, Jesus, you want to give me a parable? I'll speak to your parable. She responds to Jesus in his parable. She's in step with him because, first of all, she believed he was the Jewish Messiah. Lord, you're not just a Messiah. You are God. You are God. Second, she realizes she's an outsider. And so she plays off on the parable and says, okay, I'm an outsider, but even the dogs at the table, underneath the table, eat the children's crumbs. I mean, this is witty of this girl to do this, this woman to do it. What is she saying? Yes, Jesus, I have no prior claim to your mercy. Yes, Jesus, I'm not numbered among your children. Yes, Jesus, I can't jump up on the table and get the food like your children. But I know a thing or two about kids and tables and dogs. I know crumbs will fall. So I don't need to take from the children. I'll be satisfied with a crumb. I just want some of the crumbs they drop. Lord, can I have a crumb? That's not breaking the order, Lord. Children get it first. Dogs get it second. I'm okay with that. Give me the crumbs, Lord, that they forget about. It's, it's incredible how the wit of this woman. Heal my daughter, please. Heal my daughter. I, sh I know she's not your family. I know she's not numbered with Israel. I know we are dogs who wait for crumbs. But one crumb is all I'm asking for. Okay, if you're with me last Sunday, let's just stop there for a second. Take a two-minute break here, okay? Okay, stop and think about this now. Do you see the difference between this woman and the Pharisees last week with their legalism? Just, you're supposed to see it in the context. What's unclean, what's not unclean? This woman is clearly unclean. The Pharisees, we're not unclean. We're judgmental. We're critical. We complain all the time. But we're not unclean. And so you got the Pharisees with all their rights and their dignity 
saying, we don't need your forgiveness, Jesus. We don't need your crumbs. We don't want anything to do with you, Jesus. But she, she knows who she is. She knows who she is. You ever thought about this? How many times through history and in the Bible have broken people come before God and identified themselves in the lowest form of life, even like an animal? You ever seen that in people that walk with God or write songs or make quotes? They see themselves in the lowest form. What did the prodigal son say? I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. What did Isaiah say when he came into the presence of God? Woe is me. I'm undone. Think about that. Charlotte Elliott. Just as I am without one plea. Poor, wretched, blind. She was the most upstanding citizen in London at the time, the wealthiest woman in London. Poor, wretched, blind, I come. John Newton, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. is that one line? I think I might have wrote it down. Could he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? And interesting how the songbooks want to change it now. They don't want to call him a worm. Nobody's a worm today. We're all just sinners, but not a worm. But she said, the writer of that song said, a worm such as I. Isn't that amazing? When people who come into the presence of God know who they really are. What this woman was saying is, every crumb you bestow on me, I receive as an unworthy servant. J.C. Ryle said this, the true believer savors every crumb that comes from the hand of God. That's good. In the overflow of God's mercy, though we should be satisfied with crumbs, let me just say this, okay? He's not satisfied to just give us crumbs. <laughs> he wants to set a table before us. He wants to invite us to a banquet in the millennial kingdom. And we don't have to sit as dogs at the table waiting for those around the table to eat first. We're invited to sit and have a portion with the children. That's ultimately what God wants. But what he's saying now sometimes is, are you okay with the crumbs? Are you okay with the crumbs? All in Jesus are invited to a great feast it's a beautiful thing, and I love the astounding faith of this woman to push through all of that. Okay, let's go on. Number four, her sweet disposition. 
Verse 29, let's see this. And he said unto her, for this saying, go thy way. The devil has gone out of thy daughter. You see the phrase for this saying? Uh, what he's saying there is for your words, for your words and what you just said to me about getting the crumbs like a dog at the bottom of the table, for your words, that demon's gone. The word for your, this saying, for your word, that's the word logos, by the way. For the words you just spoke, he usually says for your faith, but here he says for your words, because it was in her words that demonstrated her faith, but it's more than just her faith. That's what I want you to see. It's more than just her faith. That's why he says, for your word, your daughter's demon is gone. You say, what is it, Pastor Rob, what is it? There's a lot of us here, we claim, we claim Jesus like her by faith, but what she possessed is not what we all possess. And I say this with kindness, but sometimes the difference between the way she handled her life and the way we handle her life is she had humility. You know, it's one thing to have faith, it's another thing to have humility. Not many respond like this when someone talks to us with disdain or calls us a dog. You gonna call me a dog? You gonna call me a dog? You put your britches on the same way I do. That's kind of what we'd like to say when people treat us like a dog or disdain. I've been witnessing to people sometimes, and when I, they get so mad at me, they turn on me, and some inside of me bucks up, and I'm like, okay, forget it, I'm out of here. And I'm like, oh, I go down the street, and I think to myself, or I get in the car, and I go, I blew it, I blew it, I got so upset about what the person was saying, I missed the fact, they're lost. And I lose all humility. Lose all humility when someone just can just say a word that triggers me. You think you're better than me? She's not like a lot of us. She's gentle and lowly. Call me a dog. Call me what you want. I don't want to take their bread. I'm bringing nothing to this, Lord. I'm nothing. I got nothing. There's nothing I have, Lord. I, I totally need you. You're all I got. I'm begging you. I'm on my knees. I have nothing to offer. Just heal my daughter, though. Will you heal my daughter? No Pharisee will do that. No Pharisee will do that. It's beneath them. The Pharisees had a saying in that day, to eat with an idolater is to eat with a dog. I got a feeling Jesus was playing off that. To eat with an idolater is to eat with a dog. And this woman said, if I'm a dog, just give me a crumb. In other words, she's saying, I've got nowhere else to go. I got nowhere else to go. And quite honestly, that's the biggest stumbling block to convincing people they're lost. They have to bring themselves to a place where they say, I've got nowhere else to go. And that's the hardest place to bring people sometimes because they always think they got a little something, just a little something. Maybe they're just a little better than this other person or a little, 
little nicer, a little kinder. They've done just a little more. But God's word's so clear. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everybody's come short of God's standard. If, if you're on a cliff and you've got to get to the other side of the cliff and you look at all these people and you say, man, none of those people are going to make it. You think you're going to make it? You might get a little closer, but you're still going to fall short of the glory of God. You're going to go down off the cliff because none of us can reach the other side of the cliff. That's, that's what the Bible's saying. Everyone falls short. No one can come to Jesus and lay any claim and say, hey, I've got this. I got this. I have something to make a difference. I'm just a little better. Like you, like you owe me, God. You owe me, God, for being so nice. No, 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 the Bible's so clear. We are all dead in our sin and in our trespasses. We're in desperate need of a Savior. Jesus offers forgiveness through his grace. That's it. That's the only way you get it, through his grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. How many times can he say it? Not of works. Not of your goodness. Not of the things you've done and say, oh God, don't you recognize any of these? No. Not of works lest any man should boast. None of those will work. It's, it's incredible. What does it require at the core? It requires humility. It requires humility. You've got to be broken. You've got to say, I've got nothing to offer. That's what it requires is a humility. It's faith and humility. Now, if that's how you got saved, why aren't you living that way? See, this is the struggle we all have. We get saved in faith and humility, but then somehow we get a little cocky along the way, and now we're just saying, you're going to call me a dog? You're going to treat me like that? You're not going to treat me. You're not going to talk to me that way. See, there's something inside of us that we, we've got a constant battle with. There's this gentle and lowliness. It's a very difficult thing to try to get a hold of. But when you respond to Jesus, you respond in faith and humility. But if you don't have the humility, you get no response from Jesus. Isn't that amazing? You don't have the humility, you don't get any response. You have faith and humility, Jesus will respond to that. He will respond to that. All right, that's, that's kind of what I wanted to hit as the main point here. Now, number five, her satisfying response then brings the satisfying reward. Jesus said in verse 29 and 30, the devil is gone from your daughter. <laughs> the devil is gone from your daughter. He just says it like that, the devil's gone. I wonder if the devil, the demon's over there thinking to myself, man, I got to get out of here. Where, where, I don't know what's going on. Whoop, he's gone. You just imagine, I, I, was, I was thinking about that this week. But, but think about Jesus for just a minute here, okay? I'm thinking about Jesus now. Uh, the unspoken delight in Jesus. It's not in the text, but I definitely see it. He's got this twinkle in his eye. He's got this twinkle in his eye. And, and he's thinking to himself, she gets it. She gets it. I, I could just see him sitting there saying, you know how long I've been working with these mojos around me for weeks? And they never get it. They never connected the dots. I'm God. And they never saw it. I'm working with these guys and they don't get it. And lady, you sit there. Do you know how many people of the elite and the religious leaders of my own country, my own country, I've told them I am God and they don't get it. Matter of fact, they hate me for it and they're going to want to kill me for it. 
But you, you lady, you're a Gentile. You don't even know the scriptures. You're one of Jezebel's. You're one of our bitterest enemies. And you, you get it. You get it. what he's saying? He's saying it without saying it. You and your kind are what the kingdom of heaven is made of. You and your kind are what the kingdom of heaven is made of. Faith and humility. Your daughter is healed. Your daughter is healed. I'm going to give it to you. Now, this is the only time in the book of Mark that Jesus did it and healed her from a distance. This is the only healing you have in the book of Mark where she's healed from a distance. It's like he just says, it's done. The demon's gone. Now, I know what you're thinking, what I'd be thinking. I'm going home to make sure. And she just heads home, and there's the girl lying in the bed. Where were you, Mama? Oh, baby. Oh, baby. You don't know how much I pleaded for you. You have no idea. I had nothing to bring, but I pleaded for you. And I got it. I'm saying to you this morning, humility is as important as faith. That's what I'm saying. And Jesus gave this unclean woman that which is holy and sacred. Because like Ryle said, A true believer savors the crumbs. Would anyone in here trade the crumb of their salvation for anything in this world? Because the truth of the matter is that crumb is the pearl of great price. And he gave it to her and he'll give it to you. How? Faith and humility. I'm going to pray here now, but the truth is all of us have things we think make us a little better than someone else, set us apart from other people. But to come to Christ, you have to put all that in the dust. You have to put it all in the dust. Get up off your high horse, (laughs) put it in the dust, and Jesus is waiting, waiting there for you. Let's pray. You know, the gospel is magnificent. But it's only for people who recognize they need it. We are all in need of forgiveness. 
I just want to say this to you in this closing prayer. If you feel like an outsider, like this woman, I'm going to tell you this. When it comes to Jesus, you're a step ahead of the rest. You're a step ahead of the rest. Because there's something about an outsider that has a humility about them. They're broken. And it may be that Jesus is speaking to you right now and you've never taken that first step of forgiveness and said, Jesus, forgive me for my sin. There's nothing I can do about it. There's nothing I can do. I'm just coming to you. You shed your blood for me. You died on a cross. You paid the price for my sin. Save me, Jesus. Save me. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my Savior. If you've never invited Jesus into your heart, that's how you do it. That's the first step of forgiveness. You humble yourself. And you ask for forgiveness. And by faith, your trust in what he says will save you. If you're here and you're saved and you know Jesus Christ, I just want to challenge you today. How is God writing your story? Could it be that he's pulling a deeper faith out of you? It looks like he's pushing you away. Looks like he's hurting you. Looks like he doesn't care about you. But the truth is, he's trying to pull something out of you. A passion. An intensity. A sacrifice. It's going to feel like a shedding of blood. If you sense any of that, you're on the right track. You're on the right track. If it's killing your passion, you're on the wrong track. Let him pull that faith out of you as a child of God. Father, I come before you now. I come for this service and for those that the Spirit of God has spoken to. I'm so grateful for this story. One of the first women I want to meet in heaven is this lady. Lord, I just pray your spirit will move over us now. We lift it up to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Scott's going to lead us to this invitation. There's something on your heart.